You're listening to Rowan Radio On Demand. Download more podcasts at rowanradio.com. The following program does not represent the views or opinions of the staff or administration of Rowan University or Rowan Radio. 89.7 WGLS-FM. Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM proudly presents A Community Affair, a weekly program where we discuss with national and local newsmakers important issues that impact our community. And now, here's your host, WGLS-FM Public Affairs Director, Megan Steckler. Welcome to A Community Affair. I'm your host, Megan Steckler, and today we are delighted to welcome Dr. Monica Williams-Sheely. Dr. Sheely is the very first Senior Vice President for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion and leader of the Division of DEI. In these positions, she works directly with the Division's leadership team to facilitate and oversee the DEI Council, support the development of DEI Department Strategic Action Plans, and much more. Today, she is here to discuss this relatively new division at Rowan University. So, Dr. Sheely, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here and excited always to talk about the work of our division and the commitment of our institution to DEI. In your own words, what is the Division of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion? How would you describe the program? Well, I can tell you that diversity, equity, inclusion, certainly when we talk about those terms, we talk about them in their broadest sense. Diversity is a fact. We are a diverse campus. Diversity includes age and race and gender, ethnicity, all of the things that make us who we are. That's diversity. Equity talks about the fact that we need to make sure that we're providing resources and supports to those in need. We're making sure that we're attending to historical structural barriers that prevent all of us as a community from being able to participate and have access to equality. And inclusion is intentional. It's ensuring that we are creating spaces where everyone can be seen, feel like they're valued and and certainly acknowledged for who they are and that they could live out their authentic selves on our campus. So our work as a division is just to be the major cheerleader for this work around DEI. We've been seeing it actualized for many years on our campus in different ways. But when the division launched in 2019, after a listening tour with students, families, as well as faculty and staff, we learned that we needed to create a space that coordinated efforts. And that's what our division does. It facilitates our work. It works across three campuses and we establish reciprocal relationships to ensure that we are being supportive of this work. And also we center the voices of community members. So you will see at the core of everything that we do, decisions that we make, we wanna hear from our community first to ensure that we are staying true to what they would like us to do as it relates to these issues. I love that. And I love the way that you described it as everyone being a cheerleader, like an internal cheerleader in this division. And I think that's so important. For the audience who may not know or such labels are always being reclassified, can you briefly explain what neurodiversity is and who falls under that label? Yeah, I think many of us do (laughs) because neurodiversity refers to the full range of variations in cognition and learning and behavior and socialization. It's a philosophy. It's a belief that 
there are natural variations within each of us. And they are just that. They're natural, they're different, but they're not deficit. They should not be classified as something to fix. It is just inherently who we are. So within this realm of neurodiversity, you have individuals with ADHD, dyslexia, autism, individuals who have speech impediments, individuals who have been in an accident and for some reason have traumatic brain injury after the accident. Prior to that, they were neurotypical. So I think that it's important that we realize that one, neurodiversity is natural, and two, that many of us would consider ourselves neurodiverse and neurodivergent, and three, our work is to find out what individuals need to be able to not only survive in this environment, but thrive so that they're on an equal playing field. So you might be neurodivergent and you might not need any services or supports. You might be able to do just fine at Rowan, but there are students, faculty, and staff who may need modifications and accommodations to be able to thrive here. I think it's so important that all those accommodations are for everyone, whether or not you need them. There's still a safety net in case anybody still needs to utilize those sorts of resources. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I think the labels oftentimes stigmatize the services that are provided. And you're right. I think we learned during the pandemic that we could be flexible. We could provide alternative ways to access the curriculum for all students without a label. And if we were to do that, you're absolutely right. More students, more faculty and staff would experience success and they not the stigma of having to ask for supports only after receiving a label. So speaking of those support systems, what kind of resources does the program offer for students and faculty members? Well, we have two areas where students and faculty and staff can be supported if they're neurodivergent. We have the Office of Accessibility Services for Students. That was formerly the Office of Disability Resources, where you could receive support if you're a student, extended time, a note taker, whatever it is that you would require to be able to access the curriculum and be successful. There are also resources beyond the academic that are provided through that office. In collaboration with the Career Services Office, we have the Autism Path Program. That program supports students with autism and being able to get job coaching, help with interviewing, actually have support on the job, and connecting them with industry resources. So the Center for Neurodiversity, which launched in October of last year, that center, again, one centers the, the culture of disability. So this is a place where neurodivergent students, faculty, and staff can come and just be in fellowship with other individuals who may share their identity. The second piece is that it's a place where faculty can connect with other faculty members and engage in research around this area of neurodiversity. And then thirdly, it's a place where we bring community resources to bear. We work with organizations and agencies outside of Rowan to be able to support students as well as faculty and staff and connecting them to resources that they probably didn't even know about because they may not exist on our campus. So we are also committed to providing professional development for our community to increase awareness about neurodiversity. Yeah, I actually attended the, I guess you can say the launch 
for the yes. Center of Neurodiversity that happened not last semester, but last year. And I thought that mm-hmm. that was really important. And I love that there was a keynote speaker to talk a little bit on the topic as well. And I saw how many faculty and students attended. It was nice to see the community come together. Yeah, I, I think that we've seen that with everything we've done around DEI since we launched in 2019. We started a DEI certificate program. We have launched professional development webinar series. We've also connected with SGA on a number of projects. And we have found consistently our community has said, thank you for providing these resources and supports and we need more. I'm glad that there's been such a positive reaction then to everything that's opening up and coming about with this new division. So speaking a little bit about your background then, what was your motivation in creating this division and what in your experience has led you on this path? Well, that's a great question that I'm often asked because in 2019, we were the first division for DEI in the state of New Jersey. Now, in some ways, it's shocking that, you know, we hadn't moved forward in this issue as a state in a much more systematic way before 2019. But I think that speaks to how our institution has always been forward thinking. Look at how we have grown in the last 10 years, our meteoric rise to medical schools, now a vet school, all of the changes on our campus, new buildings, new programs, and individuals investing in Rowan. So the division of DEI serves as a model for not only the state, but for our region and nationally. And so I came to Rowan in 2013 as the Dean of the College of Education with a background in special education. I started as a special education teacher in Florida, teaching students with disabilities, neurodivergent students, students with learning and behavior disorders. The labels were different then, but the population very similar to the ones that we're talking about today. And I started that work in the classroom, middle and high schools. I realized as a teacher that I needed to know more and I wanted to change systems. I wanted to change how we educated individuals with disabilities and neurodivergent students. So I got a PhD in special education and decided that I wanted to go into higher education so I could prepare teachers to be better at their jobs. And so that's how I got into education and then decided to take this leap to leadership as dean and come to Rowan in in my first deanship. In 2019, after six years of serving as dean of the College of Education, where we built a number of structures and, and systems focused on social justice and equity, the president asked me to serve as the inaugural senior vice president for DEI so that we could elevate the work we were doing in the College of Education elevated university-wide with all three campuses. And so that's exciting to be able to build capacity in this area, which I'm so passionate about, and it's a part of my professional identity, but also a part of who I am as a Black woman. So I think this was an opportunity to scale up our efforts And I was excited to be able to do that and have the support of our president, my colleagues around the university, but most of all, the students. The students prior to 2019, they were loudly saying someone in the cabinet needs to be devoted to DEI and why don't we have a chief diversity officer? And the response of the president was not just we need a chief diversity officer, but let's create a division for this effort. So I applaud Rowan's forethought in being able to create something like this. 
I can definitely tell how passionate you are also about this topic. You're smiling and you're saying how you are so excited to step up and be that leader for this division. So I commend you for that. And I think it's very impressive. I know that you previously said that initiatives seem like they're getting a positive response, but what has it been like getting initiatives going and have there been some challenges that you've had in the first three years as well? I'm so glad you asked that because we focus on our successes, but there are some valuable lessons we've learned. And I would be remiss if I didn't say that there are people on campus that still don't have an interest in us uh, promoting and supporting DEI or may have deficit ideas about people that are different from them. We're going to face that no matter what, because the university is a microcosm of our larger society. And we know what we're facing every day in our society. There are some states in our country you can't even talk about race. You can't talk about DEI without being attacked. And I'm really thankful that we're in a space, in a state where we're promoting DEI and promoting how we can bring people together to be able to live harmoniously, particularly on a campus. And we're able to examine critical and issues that are provocative. We can do that because we're, that's what higher education is all about examining issues from different perspectives. So we are able to do that with our division, but the challenges are certainly there in terms of, we always think about the fact that we could use more resources and supports. You know, as we build out the Center for Neurodiversity, we're going to need to hire more staff. We want to hire more neurodivergent staff to be able to run that center because the center is really about that culture and being able to promote that. And you need individuals who represent that culture in the center. We also want to be able to access groups that haven't traditionally engaged in outreach. So we have an interfaith and spiritual exploration center. We'd like to expand that and be able to ensure that individuals of different faiths, different understandings and beliefs or spiritual backgrounds are able to have a space where they pray and they meditate and they could fellowship with each other. And we know that space is certainly a challenge on our campus. We hope that that's going to be one that we get better at with our new student center. The other thing too that I would mention is bias, harassment, and discrimination. It continues to happen. You might recall last year we heard from a number of Black students on campus who talked about the fact that they were still experiencing bias, harassment, and discrimination at the hands of other students or faculty and staff. And we still need to do a better job of getting the word out that you need to report these things when they happen. A second piece of that after reporting and educating of our community about how we should be conducting ourselves in this environment is holding individuals accountable. Now that looks different. Uh, it could be an educational intervention. It could be a mediation between parties, or it could be something more significant. But I think it's important that we have all those elements, awareness, education, but also accountability. Definitely. There's so much wiggle room for this division. And I love that you're not just sitting back and you're like, this is all that we can do right now. I love that you're still you're still having that thought that there's still more that can be done to accommodate to so many more students. What are the different divisions of DEI and are there any other colleges that are participating in DEI? Yeah, that's the wonderful thing about our division here at Rowan is that every department and every unit on all three campuses is connected to our division. So we do that through our DEI council. We have representatives from all these areas come together 
we meet once a month during the academic year and we engage in the work of DEI. We have three subcommittees. The first one is focused on our strategic priority around making sure our campus is inclusive and equitable. So we have students, faculty, and staff who come together monthly to talk about how do we ensure that our campus is still a place where everyone feels included and feels like they have an equitable educational opportunity. The second priority is around recruiting diverse students, faculty, and staff. That subcommittee of the council works on making sure we're addressing strategies so that we could realize that goal. And the third area is around promoting and supporting inclusive scholarship and research and teaching and professional development. So the council has representation from students, faculty, and staff. They work on three subcommittees that help us to advance our work. And the amazing thing that we've been able to do in three years is ensure that all of these units and departments have a five-year DEI strategic action plan. And we have all of those plans on our website. So if a student wants to find out, well, what's the plan for communication, the Edelman College for Communication and Creative Arts? What's their DEI plan? They can go to our website and be able to see what the plan is, what the resources and strategies are, and timelines. We've never done that before. And that's the accountability piece I've mentioned before, is that we are holding ourselves accountable, but we're also being transparent and saying we're not there yet. These are our plans, and this is how far we've gotten to be able to address them. Everyone is connected to our division across three campuses. And because of some of the community groups we've started, we have external people joining us. We have a law enforcement and community collaborative that started after George Floyd's murder. We brought together law enforcement professionals with students, faculty, and staff, and community activists. We started a group for corporate executives who want to infuse DEI within their organizations and our neurodiversity task force. That was a two-year task force that led us to the new center. So I think that uh, we've been able to ensure that we're centering the voices of our communities. And when we hear from groups, students, faculty, and staff that tell us we're not hearing or responding to their needs, then we engage in an effort to be able to make sure we have voices at the table to address those needs. I think it's so great that it's not just within Rowan University, that other spaces are getting involved and want to get involved in our widespreading DEI, not even across campus, but all across the Glassboro community. So I think that's also great. We'll be right back with more A Community Affair after this. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to A Community Affair. I'm your host and public affairs director, Megan Steckler, and today we are speaking with Dr. Monica Williams-Sheely. Dr. Sheely is the very first senior vice president for the diversity, equity, and inclusion and leader of the division of DEI. In these positions, she works directly with the division's leadership team to facilitate and oversee the DEI council, support the development of DEI department strategic action plans, and much more. Today, she is here to discuss this relatively new division at University. So moving right along, how big of a challenge was COVID to the program? Oh, wow. Yes, COVID 
just like it impacted all of us as if you're coming from the vantage point of a student, it disrupted your learning. It had an impact on your personal life, depending on what was going on with your family, for faculty having to move all of their instruction online. And then with providing health and wellness services and keeping the students we had on campus safe, keeping our faculty and staff safe, attending to individuals that need to be tested and vaccinated. All of those things, those contextual factors impacted all of us. But in the area of DEI, we were able to understand that it also revealed some persistent disparities. So it revealed the fact that many of our students didn't have access to technology. They didn't have a laptop. And if they had a laptop, they didn't have access to the internet, to Wi-Fi, depending on the neighborhood they lived in. And because many of our students were learning from home, we got stories from students saying that they were taking part in classes at their job, at fast food restaurants during breaks, tuning in on their phone. And so we didn't realize this digital gap that we thought that we had been able to ameliorate. It was exacerbated for some students during COVID. We also saw the disparities, the health disparities that were revealed for individuals that were living in poverty, but also those students, faculty, and staff that are coming from a marginalized background, those black and brown families, they experienced COVID in a way that was very different from many of their white counterparts. And, and we understand it, it's related to access to healthcare and the quality of healthcare that's provided to individuals that are from marginalized backgrounds. So in some ways, COVID pulled back the curtain and allowed us to see some really ugly things that many of us knew existed, but more of us got to see. And we were able to hold professional development webinars addressing these very issues to bring about awareness. But when we couple what happened with COVID to the displays of protests and racial unrest that we saw at the same time, it was like we were all watching it together. We were all experiencing justice, a lot of pain and sadness because of the pandemic, but also it was compounded by what we were seeing happening to some of our family, our, our colleagues and our friends because of their racial identity. Our division wanted to create safe spaces during this time. We wanted to, one, provide students with the resources that they need. Staff from our Center for Access, Persistence, and Achievement, uh, formerly known as ASCEN, passed out laptops along with our Dean of Students office and Student Life to make sure students could come pick up a laptop, not just in Glassboro, but also on our Camden campus that we provided opportunities for them to access Wi-Fi. We also made sure that we provided, in some cases, food and shelter for students that weren't able to go anywhere during the pandemic. They had to stay with us because there was nowhere for them to go. And then we also wanted to educate our community about the racial unrest and what was happening on our streets. Many protests were happening right here in Glassboro, led by students saying that we're experiencing like a twin pandemic, the racism that's systemic in our society, but also this COVID pandemic. I hope that during the last two years, our division has exemplified ways to bring people together and talk about some very challenging issues, 
but understanding that we have to respect diverse viewpoints and vantage points and try to make sure that we're providing resources. So the pandemic definitely uncovered and identified a lot of key issues, not just the pandemic itself, but as you were saying, a lot of racial issues as well. But I think it sounds like DEI did a great job trying to give back to the community even in these hard times. So even though the pandemic stifled so many of us in so many different ways, I felt like it also brought to light and brought the community together in a weird way as well. I've never seen a community like that before. Taking a jump at a different topic here, I know that you touched on it a little bit, but how receptive have students been to DEI and the new programs? When I speak to students through SGA, through our student organizations, when we meet students that are on our advisory boards or students that are coming to tell us we need to do a better job or we're not attending to their particular needs, I think all of those student voices are important for us to be able to hear so that we get better. And I, as I said previously, students really were the driving force uh, between the, the launch of the division. They, students asked for uh, more resources and supports. Students asked us to take on issues that they were experiencing, not just on campus, but as they were navigating life in the borough. They said, how are you working with Glassboro to protect us? because they are still experiencing things that they would like to see not existing on our campus. They'd like to to not be harassed because of who they are, who they love. They'd like to be supported if they learn differently by faculty members. They'd like a safe space to pray or meditate. So all of those things contribute to students being able to live full lives. And there are still people on campus that with their words or their actions, they present barriers to students and faculty and staff. And so we want to to be here to, to, one, keep educating and keep hoping that our campus will get better over time, but also to put in place and support the other departments who are holding individuals accountable and making sure we're looking at our policies and practices to make sure that we are not, we know we're well-intentioned, but sometimes policies, they have a consequence that was not expected because we're not thinking about how it impacts all of our community members. So we put something in place thinking, oh, this will help students. And then we find that it disenfranchises a particular group. So I think that's why it's important to have diverse voices at the places where we make decisions, because one person can't be able to see everything from different vantage points. I I feel like that's the work that students still want us to do, is to keep challenging our community to get better and not to get complacent. And And just like you said, Megan, We're not stopping, say, oh, we built a division. We're good. No, we're not good. We still have so much more work to do. And it's going to take all of us to do it, not just the division. Speaking of future plans and future projects, what do you have in store for the upcoming fall semester? And what are you looking to accomplish? Exciting things to come. So I can tell you that about five or six years ago, SGA led this initiative to develop a divine nine plot. 
There are nine multicultural organizations, historically Black Greek organizations, that started on campuses across this country. And so this divine nine group that we're hearing more about these days at predominantly white campuses, they're establishing plazas or plots to commemorate the chartering of these organizations on these campuses at a time where it's not popular to be a Black person at a predominantly white campus, but you were able to find community. And these organizations also led civil rights initiatives. So our SGA said to us, before we even existed as a, a division, they wanted to honor the contributions of the Black organizations here on our campus. And so this year, we are finally in October launching the campaign to build a Divine Nine plot near Meditation Walk. And it will be the first one in the state of New Jersey, as well as the only one in our region right now. And so we're excited about that. And that is something we hope all of our students get behind because unlike some other organizations, these Black organizations don't have houses. Students come to campus, they don't know where they are, if sometimes if they exist. So the Divine Nine plot is an opportunity for all of our students, particularly our Greek students, to get behind this initiative. Yeah, it sounds super exciting, and I'm excited to see it all unfold. Dr. Shealy, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to speak with me. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Megan, for having us. And thank you for the support from Growing Community. We'll keep working on your behalf. Of course. And again, I'm your host, Megan Steckler, and this has been A Community Affair. You've been listening to A Community Affair. Be sure to join us on the third Saturday of every month at 9 a.m. as we discuss the important issues that impact you and our community. Only here on Rowan Radio, 89.7 WGLS-FM.